one with all the fun. The Fairchild Video Entertainment System at your larger JCPenney. The home entertainment system that never gets old. Plug in a new video cart and change the fun. Play tic-tac-toe, shooting gallery, or just doodle. Switch video carts and play Desert Fox. Switch again, it's Blackjack. Or play the two built-in games, Pro Hockey or Tennis Champ. Channel F for fun. The Fairchild Video Entertainment System. Just $169.95. Video cart cartridges, $19.95 each. At your larger JCPenney. another episode of classic gaming brothers i'm zach and i'm seth and we're the classic gaming brothers yeah that's right we are the classic gaming brothers that i like that yeah that's right we're the classic gaming brothers <laughs> yeah that's right i gotta go get my donkeys now <laughs> <laughs> you're not from boston i'm from rhode island it's just like boston except little for any of our listeners who aren't on the east coast donkeys is also dunkin donuts <laughs> Did you know for a little while there was a, there was a period of time where there was a bunch of Dunkin' Donuts east of the Mississippi and very few west of the Mississippi? That time is now gone. Also, fun fact, Portland, Oregon used to have a Dunkin' Donuts downtown. Now they have a donut shop that's where the Dunkin' Donuts was that uses the same coloring as the Dunkin' Donuts did. Nice. But is not a Dunkin' Donuts. And in fact, there are zero Dunkin' Donuts in Portland, Oregon, because I looked. There's a few Starbuckses. There's also some other donuts, like Voodoo Donuts is in Portland, Oregon. That's right. There's also some other donuts that were better than Voodoo Donuts. We should do a donut podcast, where we just talk about donuts. We should really get onto the podcast, because people don't like tangents like this. So, Zach, are you going to ask me what I've been playing recently? Seth, what have you been recently playing? Recently, I've been playing a game called mag runner i have no idea how i gained possession of this game but you also own this game and so do a bunch of other people so i think it may have been through humble bundle which is how i got the possession of the game i didn't know i had it yeah exactly it's one of those games where it's just like oh but you have to pay money to get it so it's 9.99 it was developed and published by frogware which is interesting because frogware makes sherlock holmes games and other types of adventure games they i think they have like 10 or 11 there's a ridiculous amount of frogware sherlock Holmes games here's the fun fact Mag Runner has nothing to do with Sherlock Holmes or anything to do with adventuring. It is in fact a puzzle game that is similar to how Portal is a puzzle game, except instead of portals, you use magnets, hence the term mag in Mag Runner. All right, you're not using like gun magazines? No. Or just regular magazines? Just hitting people with like a rolled up Better Home and Gardens. I'm sure somebody's going to make a game about that now. Mag Runner takes place in the far future where you play as a character by the name of Dax. Does he have a diner <laughs> like in Star Wars? No, but uh, he does have a mutant father figure. So okay. his, his dad and his mom, something happened to them. So he was abandoned by them. And 
so he was raised by this a guy named like Gamji. Okay. He is a mutant with six arms. And there's not a lot of, uh, maybe there is a lot of mutants. You don't encounter a lot of mutants in the game. You don't encounter a lot of people because it's like very portal. Like most of the game that I've played takes place in like almost like a laboratory. So you're like in a lobby, you go into a room, you complete the puzzle. You leave the room, you go back to the lobby, and a different puzzle resets as you kind of go along. And there's harder and harder puzzles using this magnet technology. It's cool. It plays very fun. You use um, different magnets to, like, move things. You Like, certain things have the ability to magnetize, mm-hmm. and you have to use the, that physics element to be able to get yourself to the other side wherever the door is so you may need to use like magnetized crates or something to be able to throw them because a positive and a negative polarity will repel where a positive and a positive or a negative and negative polarity will attract you also use like stacking of polarity so if you take like two crates and you make them both positive and you put a third crate on them and you make it positive and then you turn that third crate into a negative then that third crate's going to like fly away versus just one crate so it's a fun kind of futuristic puzzle game that also includes cthulhu so um halfway through the game there is some hp lovecraft influence uh so i've played about uh four hours or so of the game i've been told or i've read that the game goes on for about six to seven hours so i Mm -hmm. feel like i've got a few more hours ahead of me which hopefully with these type of puzzle games like this is kind of like the turing test is another type of game like this there's like like a, I feel like a length where the puzzles stay interesting and as long as they continue to stay interesting, it's fun. But I mean, there's only so many ways that you can play with magnets, I guess. It's true. That's true. So yeah, it's been fun. I've been enjoying it. I, if you like that, if you are looking for like that portal itch of like that one room at a time puzzle solving, I definitely recommend Mag, Mag Runner as a, as, a, as a good pickup. It's got very positive reviews on Steam. A game that was a lot, at least to me, like Portal, but I don't think anyone else liked it besides me was Cube. Q-U-B-E, not Cube. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why. That game got a lot of bad reviews, but I really liked Cube. Um, at least what I played of Cube. But to be fair, I only played the demo, and then I got the game from a Humble Bundle, and I never played it again. Maybe the, like, the moment you get past the demo section, it just takes a dramatic turn for the worse. <laughs> yes. Are you going to ask me what I've been recently playing? <laughs> no, I don't uh, particularly that's care. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. (laughs) Seth, recently I've been playing uh, a game called Marvel's Avengers. Now, you might remember back in probably episode 12-ish, maybe 13. I've been trying, I was trying to dig through our notes while you were talking. Uh, We should ask the historian. Now, for the listeners at home and for you, Seth, I I said this game was a pass. And I gave it a lot of reasons why it was a pass. One being I had no interest in the game. So I bought the game. Uh, (laughs) Meaning it wasn't a pass. I did eventually buy it. So I guess it literally was a wait. Yeah, a wait. But yeah, no, I've actually recently been playing it. Uh, I picked it up actually kind of for free. I sold a bunch of games and I got a bunch of store credit at a local game store of mine. And I snagged it because it was very cheap. When I was buying it with store credit, fun fact, the person who worked at the desk laughed and said, have you played this game? And I said, I have not. And he said, I hope it's better than when I played it. (laughs) So... I was already in for good expectations. It has apparently been seriously updated since release, but uh, Marvel's Avengers is a game developed by Crystal Dynamics and published by Square Enix. It was originally released in September of 2020. As it implies by the name, you play as the Avengers and you stop a bad guy. Um, The bad guy in this game is Modok, 
who is a very silly villain in Marvel Comics, at least from my memory, because he's a man with a giant head who controls technology. And they kind of gave him a serious backstory in this one, but it is MODOK. MODOK stands for Mechanized Organism Designed Only for Killing. It could also be the Mobile Organism Designed Only for Killing or Mental Organism Designed Only for Killing. And sometimes killing is substituted for computing. I've seen it spelled as... Or caring. <laughs> yeah, anyway, you fight MODOK. You play as the uh, standard Avengers roster. So there's Black Widow, Iron Man, Hulk, Thor, Captain America. And then added to the game is Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, who's kind of your central character. She takes up kind of the majority of the main storyline as you go through becoming uh, into her own as she develops her inhuman powers and then there's a dlc that was added free to the game that adds kate bishop and hawkeye as well as two added storylines where you can play as both kate bishop and hawkeye where in this storyline hawkeye gets sent to the future by accident Fun. and he lives through the future where everyone's dead and he is an old man so um i'm playing right now i just started the first dlc where they introduce kate bishop um who is also known as hawkeye so one thing i'll say about this game is a complaint that I had back when I was originally putting it down as my pass. And that is they try really hard not to make these characters look like their movie counterparts, which I think is difficult because they're going for photorealism for these characters. So you have these like vaguely movie versions of the Marvel characters, but they look kind of off. The joke I made was I sent a picture of the Captain America, I believe to you, Seth. And I said, Mom, can we have Chris Evans at home? And Mom says, we already have Chris Evans at home. And Chris Evans at home is the video game Captain America. <laughs> they're also wearing the same, like, movie-accurate costumes. Yeah, they're, like, very close to the movie costume sort of deal. Which like, yeah. I honestly think is, like, if you were going for a Marvel world and you want it to be different from the mcu but still represent the same marvel characters you should just set it in a world where their costuming is different because you can do that very easily with marvel but like here's the thing here's the thing that i don't get they should just set it in marvel zombies i get that the core avengers at least in the current like in the standard storyline that you think of are like you know black widow hulk blah 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 but there's so many avengers <laughs> like That's you could have you could have put avengers in who aren't in the mcu as main characters or who aren't maybe planning to be in the mcu you could very much easily have marvel characters who are never going to be in the mcu or maybe won't be in the mcu for yeah. many many years be in this in this game but they're not there <laughs> Because you know why they're not there? Because Demolition Man and Moon Knight don't sell video games. <laughs> That's, uh, until the Moon Knight uh, was it movie with Oscar Isaac, then they will sell <laughs> video games. Well, Demolition Man or D-Man. I think his name is D-Man. D-Man will never sell a video game. I, I love D-Man. He's a super strength homeless person. Are you aware of D-Man? I am aware of D-Man, yeah. Yeah, he's great. I, I just think it's interesting because like Marvel Ultimate Alliance, which came out years ago for the PlayStation 2. It was a great game. Had a ton of Marvel characters on roster yeah. that like no one cared about, but they were still in the game. 
I I played as Moon Knight the entire yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I get I that there's I get that there's licensing issues. Like I get you can't use the X Men probably, and I get you probably couldn't use Deadpool. But like there are other Avengers really? out there. Did, if they're licensed from Disney, then they could probably get away with a lot more now. I well, I do know that the Deadpool license for the video game is specifically in like limbo because the cur- the game that came out got actually pulled from stores. Um, like you can't even buy that on Steam right now. It's in some weird licensing hell for like just Deadpool the video game. But yeah, like I don't I don't get it. It'd be cool to have even I mean it would have been cool to have X Men in it. I would love to see like I don't know like Cyclops go toe to toe Beast. Yeah. No, Beast is a member of the Avengers. If you're gonna have an Avengers game, you need to have Beast in it. Yeah, but Cyclops hates the Avengers. That's what makes him great. Cyclops is the worst X Man <laughs> ever. He is worse than X Man from for the atari 2600 there is also i just before we leave the marvels there is a a thing called moderad moderad it is it is a modok except it's a mental organism designed only for roller derby nice all right to get on with the actual topic of this particular week so we've uh, talked about the Magnavox Odyssey, which uh, we spoke about in episode 59, if you missed it, which was one of the first home video game consoles and was part of the first generation of video game. We are currently in the ninth generation with the release of the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5. Generally, the rule of the generation is that uh, essentially each generation is marked by the life cycle of the majority of the game consoles. So obviously the Switch is still in existence, but the Switch is technically an eighth generation product. Uh, So when the Nintendo releases a newer product, like if they release the Switch 4K or whatever they have in the pipeline, that would be considered part of the ninth generation. So you could even, I don't know. I think the, the, the Switch Lite is kind of like a variant though. Yeah, the Switch Lite is just like a variant um i would it would be it would be the equivalent of like the playstation 4 slim versus the playstation 4 pro right or the 3ds and the 2ds so if and if you recall from our magnavox odyssey episode that that particular system used game cards instead of cartridges and these game cards were essentially for those who didn't listen to it or for those who need to recap after 15 or so episodes the game cards were essentially circuit boards that would modify how the system processed electricity through the transistors to make the game work on the television set, along with taping physical things on the screen to be able to play the game, uh, such as Magnavox Tennis. So definitely, if you're interested in learning more about one of the first home console systems, head on back to episode 59 and check out the Magnavox Odyssey episode. Now, how did we get from the methodology of Magnavox Odyssey, which using essentially these circuit boards getting plugged in, to a cartridge era system, which really the cartridge era system dominated video games from 1976 to pretty much 1998. You had cartridge uh, game systems that were the primary game systems in the market well in order to get to a cartridge-based system we'll have to travel to the second generation of video games to talk about the subject of this episode and that subject is the fairchild channel f created and manufactured by fairchild camera and instrument company which definitely 
definitely sounds like a great video game company. Fairchild Camera and Instrument Company is a conglomerate that had divisions, and one of those divisions was Fairchild Semiconductors, which was originally founded back in 1957. Now, it was founded by uh, Sherman Mills Fairchild and a group of scientists, and they created a transistor manufacturing plant in the Santa Clara Valley in California, which is now the known as Silicon Valley. Now, a fun fact that there were two key employees in Fairchild Semiconductors, Robert Noyce and Gordon Moore, who would eventually go off and form a little company called Intel in 1968. And to be fair, Fairchild Camera and Instrument had their hands in many, many, many different things, um, which included semiconductor manufacturing, which you are are critical for electronic devices. So they knew how to, to uh, manufacture various technologies of the era. But they also were involved in camera production, as by their name, Fairchild Camera and Instrument Company. Primarily, their cameras were primarily used by the, the Department of Defense for spy satellites. Fairchild camera and instrument is still in existence they just make boring stuff so you probably haven't heard about them and they still i'm pretty sure they're still in the semiconductor business which we still need because without semiconductors we can't have electronics and you know we wouldn't be as uh, informative as we always are if we didn't talk a little bit about semiconductors in case you were wondering what what is a semiconductor like how does a semiconductor play into a part of being part of like a circuit board the reason why they're called semiconductor is that they can in fact go from not being conductive at all to being almost like an insulator to being fully conductive which having that ability to go on and off is key to how electronics work so i guess the question is where does a company like this even get involved in video games right why would a company that already has such a strong foothold in the electronics market want to become involved in video games and how exactly did they become involved in video games well there was a company called alpex computer corporation and back in 1974 two employees wallace kirshner and lawrence haskell began development of a home video game system and had one in the prototype phase. So these these two individuals, uh, Kirshner and Haskell, were really just developing it on, on their own time. And they reportedly, Haskell was already really interested in video games and the growing industry of the arcade market and had not only played Pong, but also had seen kind of the popularity of independent Pong systems as well as things like the Magnavox Odyssey and reportedly saw a Magnavox Odyssey for the first time when he was visiting a department store and just saw a child playing with it. And that kind of started springing the idea of of how to create video games and, and what exactly he wants to do with this thing. So the unit itself was split between a main unit that had an Intel 8080 microprocessor and circuit boards that were interchangeable. And these circuit boards contained ROM chips that would be plugged into the main unit. A la cartridge. Exactly, a ROM cartridge. They wanted to have this as some sort of accessory to the televisions of the era and went around to various television manufacturers to pick up manufacturing of the product. And we gotta wonder, did they go to Magnavox, right? I mean, like I would hope not I mean I would hope that they were like had the wherewithal to be like probably don't want them to think we're stealing their stuff right I mean I'm sure the Odyssey and its stellar sales were 
keeping Magnavox super happy. Yeah, but as we know from Magnavox, they um, did not take kindly to video games. If you made a video game, you stole from Magnavox. So the plan was that Kirshner was going to create the hardware and Haskell would develop the software. They called their prototype Raven. It was short for Remote Access Video Entertainment. One of Haskell's earliest games that he developed was just a reinterpreted version of Pong. Um, Just simple ball bouncing between two paddles. He later created a version of Tic-Tac-Toe, a shooting gallery game, and a game called Doodle, which allowed someone to draw lines on the screen. Forever burned in the image of your CRT. The Raven physically just looked kind of like a metal box with like a keyboard controller that would be used to control the games. It was not aesthetically pleasing. Now, as plans for the Raven became more and more solidified, they needed someone who had money to help put the unit in production, a la a television company. Because A, they would have money, and B, they knew Latronics because they made televisions. So in 1975, Alpix approached Sylvania, Zenith, RCA, and Motorola, all wonderful companies. They were able to show the machine that was it was able to connect to any conventional television, and none of those companies were interested in their product. I wonder, like a Motorola game system, though. That'd be interesting. Back there in was an RC- RCA game system. It was called the RCA Studio 2, and there was no Studio 1. Wow. And I'm sure it was just like everything else RCA made. Garbage. <laughs> Just like their TVs. (laughs) So finally, Alpex approached semiconductor manufacturers and Fairchild ended up taking an interest in the product. Fairchild and other semiconductor companies were looking to get into the whole Motronic market and they saw an opportunity with Raven. Since they were able to understand and manufacture the Raven and they had the plant capacity to be able to do so, they just needed the technology really to be able to roll something out and to get into another market. Now, the connection between Alpex and Fairchild actually stemmed back to Alpex's early days. And it was thanks to a Fairchild parts rep named Sean Fogarty that the word of the Raven actually got to Greg Ray's who was the vice president of Fairchild. Rays then got the ball rolling with Wilf Corrigan, the CEO of Fairchild, who sent a team to Alpex to determine whether or not the technology was even feasible. And on that team was Gene Landrum and Jerry Lawson. Now Lawson was described as a lover of all electronics and was one of Silicon Valley's few African-American electronics engineers. And Lawson was also very familiar with video games as he actually created his own video game in his garage in 1973. Fairchild wanted the machine to run on their F8 microprocessor. So Lawson, Kirshner, and Haskell converted the Raven prototype, which was on the Intel 8080, to the F8. Lawson was also tasked with fixing Raven's keyboard control scheme into a joystick that could work with Haskell's games. What he ended up designing was kind of a bizarre but very advanced joystick for the time. It was one joystick... It kind of looks like a microphone, almost like a classic microphone that you would hold, that had a a dial that you would turn at the top, and that dial could also be pressed in like a button or moved around like a joystick. Um, so the dial was like multifaceted. It was kind of a neat joystick for the time, if not incredibly awkward looking nowadays. So in 1975, the system picked up a new name, Stratos, and it was projected by early figures that the Stratos device would sell 5.5 million units by 1978 and would capture 22% of the market share. So they had they had high expectations. And Fairchild 
Harold was incredibly optimistic with those numbers and decided that it was time for them to go ahead and start the sales. They released the system in November of 1976, and they renamed the system from Stratos to the Fairchild Video Entertainment System, or VES. Now, there was a problem with this name, because right when they released it as the VES, a little company known as Atari Incorporated released their system, the VCS. Fairchild decided that they were actually just going to rename the system entirely just to avoid any confusion, and they renamed it to the Fairchild Channel F with F being for fun. So it was the Fairchild Channel Fun. Super lame. <laughs> Very lame. Games for the Fairchild Channel F are fairly simplistic games. Built into the system were versions of Pong called Hockey and Tennis. One interesting thing about the Channel F is that the controller allows you to rotate the paddle to different angles, which made the game fairly fast-paced and hectic. Yeah, it was, it was actually kind of a unique version of Pong for the time. I was looking through the user manual of the Fairchild Channel F, and it was actually the, they reference it as the Fairchild Fairchild Video Entertainment System. Mm, okay. So it may have been the original user manual. On page two had instructions to connecting the system to the television set. And this was a four-part process. <laughs> First, you had to disconnect your external antenna from the VHF terminal post on the back of the TV and attach. And we're not talking about a short instruction list on how to do this. You had to pull off your external adapter and then connect the twid lead wire coming from your adapter box to the now empty terminal post that your external adapter for the antenna was on. And then you peel the protective paper from the back of the adapter box to expose adhesive material and press the adapter box firmly into any clear area near the VHF terminal, then plug the game cord into the adapter box, and then connect the AC adapter to a convenient wall socket. And it's got a safety designed captive screw at the top of the unit. Uh, so you have to remove the center screw from the socket wall plate and plug in the AC adapter and then tighten the captive screw into the now empty center screw hole. There's a lot going on. And it also had special instructions about 75 ohm cable connections all on the second page. And the best thing in the entire world is on page three, and that is the FCC cautions. And it says, because the Fairchild video entertainment system is a television accessory that could potentially cause interference with neighboring TV sets, the Federal Communications Commission prohibits hooking up more than one TV set to the system using any more flat twin lead wire from the adapter box than that is supplied. Connecting flat twin lead wire from the adapter box to any TV antenna or cable TV outlet or attaching loose wires to your TV antenna while operating the system. I really enjoyed that these consumer electronics had warnings from the FCC and restrictions. I just, I like they, they had a, a warranty in the back and in the warranty you fill out your information and send it in. Uh -huh. When you sent it to them, they call it, you send us something, we'll send you something. Essentially, you it was like you gave them your mailing address so that they could mail you Fairchild <laughs> magazines. Now, uh, unlike similar game systems of the time, which to be fair, were mostly just like dedicated home Pong machines that could only play Pong and nothing else, and things like the Magnavox Odyssey, the Fairchild Channel F was unique for its interchangeable cartridges. Each cartridge was called a video cart and had a corresponding number for the release. Between 1976 and 1981, 
there were 26 cartridges officially released for the Channel F, with a 27th cartridge being released only in Germany by a third-party developer who was officially licensed by Fairchild, but it just wasn't released worldwide. The games consisted of titles such as Tic-Tac-Toe, Video Blackjack, Math Quiz, Math Quiz 2, Robot War, Memory Match, Memory Match 2, Bowling! As you can tell, it's a variety of educational, some action, shooter, and puzzle games. There was also a clone of Pac-Man that was released in 2009. (laughs) Fun fact. That one was probably not licensed. The games are very simple, again, and the graphics on the Channel F could only be displayed in limited color palette, and those colors consisted of gray, teal green, dark gray, white, black, red, green, and blue. The system could only use one plane of graphics, and was only able to use four of the available colors as background colors. And by one plane of graphics, I mean the graphics you saw on the screen could not be overlaid. They could not, you know, lap each other. You couldn't have multi layers to them. It was one flat screen with a background. The resolution was 128 by 64 pixels with 102 by 58 pixels visible thanks to 64 bytes of RAM, not kilobytes, bytes. Small. (laughs) Very small. The cartridge, which allowed for different games to be played via ROM chips, were also designed to be aesthetically similar to eight track carts of the era. And they were also all yellow in color, very, very like canary yellow. They also have a weird door on them for like the dust protector. So when you stick the cartridge in, it lifts the door up. Now, a number of licensed versions were released in Europe, including the Luxor Video Entertainment System in Sweden, the Andman Grandstand Video Entertainment Computer in the UK, and Saba Videoplay, the ITT Telematch Processor and Nordmond Color Teleplay MUP, MU being the Greek letter MU, uh, from Germany, and the Dumont Videoplay and Barco Challenger from Barco Dumont Company in Italy and Belgium. Saba Video Play, that's the one that released the 27th cartridge. It was actually a version of chess. The Germans loved the. They did. The, at least the There's having three versions. Of- <laughs> <laughs> of the uh Fairchild Channel F. They and the, the systems they looked kind of cool. The 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 variant systems, they looked kind of neat. Um, the system itself looks kind of cool. It looks kind of like an ugly VCR. Yeah, yeah. The system released at a retail price of $169.95 in 1976, which if equivalent to today's money would be $776.14. And from 1976 to 1979, the Channel F sold roughly about 350,000 units, which, doing a simple average over that time period, is about 120,000 units a year, which is okay. Yeah, um, not awful. I mean, it's better than the Apple Pippin, which we discussed a couple episodes ago. Well, it's better than the Apple Pippin. However, let's compare that to another product, its direct competitor, the Atari VCS, also known as the Atari 2600, which was another cartridge-based system. And we actually talk about the Atari 2600 back in episode 24. It was released in 1977, so a year after the Channel F. For, and it was more like a half year, because the Channel F was released towards the end of 76, and the Atari was released in the middle of 77. And the Atari was released for the price of $199, which 
is equivalent to today's money above about $858.48. Now, in comparison to the Channel F, though, by 1982, Atari sold 19 million units, which is about 3.8 million units a year. And by 1982, Atari had 25% of household penetration, which today is still one of the highest household penetration for a video game console. So I believe the PS2 had over 12 years they sold enough to penetrate 40% of the household market but there was also some issues with the PS2s being broke you know like they had yeah. to be fixed so the market doesn't get penetrated more if you if the same consumer buys the product twice so it it may in fact be the Atari had the highest household penetration back in 1982 out of everybody now one of the things that might explain why Atari was so much more successful was um Seth how, how many how many total games would you say were there for the Beth of Fairchild Channel F by the discontinuation of the Channel F there were about 32 games that were released yeah for the Atari there was almost 400 and that was about 100 plus games for Atari that were made by Atari, but also Atari games made by Activision, Parker Brothers, 20th Century Fox, iMagic, US Games, Coleco, SpectraVision, Arcadia, Apollo, Tiger Vision Telegames, Sega, CBS Electronics, Panda, Data Age. It goes on and on and on because the thing with the Atari was there were third-party games because yeah, Atari a lost a lawsuit, basically lost them the sole control over the games that were being sold for their system. That's right, which we talk about in episode 24. Exactly. So that massive amount of games might have been the reason why Atari did so much better because there were just more games for the Atari <laughs> and the games were all like arcade games. It was like the channel F were mostly slower paced edutainment or thinking games and the Ataris were not. So you look at a game like for the Atari 2600, such as combat or adventure and then you'd look at a similar game on the Fairchild F math quiz or memory match and would you want math quiz or would you want combat just think about that and answer to yourself they were the same they were being sold in the same time period they were priced similar-ish and there was a game called combat and had great box art cover and there was a game called math quiz which had math on its cover <laughs> yes essentially the channel F was relegated as an excellent educational device for children while the Atari blasted its way to victory. So there was a moment, though, to kind of bookend our Fairchild episode. Fairchild did redesign the system to try and go directly head-to-head -head with the Atari 2600. However, since then, some key people, specifically Jerry Lawson, left Fairchild to go start his own company, weren't present for the creation of the Channel F2. And they only were able to really get a few games out for the, the new system system until it was discontinued. So by 1979, Fairchild actually sold the technology to a company called Zircon. And in 1983, Zircon discontinued the Channel F2. Uh, the Channel F2 was a little more sleeker in design. The changes that were done to the F2 were that the controllers were able to be removed from the base unit versus being wired directly into it. Uh, you could also store those controllers into the rear of the unit. And the sound was mixed into the RF TV signal, so the unit no longer needed a separate speaker. But it wasn't, it was really was too late to kind of really uh, 
have its time in the, the sun, as it were. I just want to say this before we wrap this, this segment up. Zach and I, we, we cover a lot of councils that are poor performers when it comes to uh, sales. But it's it's hard to think about the Fairchild F and discredit what it did for video games. There was a lot of technology that came out of the Fairchild F construction, and it was the first cartridge-based system to hit the market. And that's saying something. It may not have sold well, and it, it may have had its restrictions or limitations or may not have had the best games on it, but I think at the end of the day, it deserves its place in history as all the smart people that worked on it. Because at the end of the day, these people that worked on the, the Fairchild Channel F, those people were brilliant, much oh, smarter yeah. than I, and were able to make something happen in, in a day and age where we are now, it's hard to think about a video game system having 64 bytes of data storage on it, where today our game systems have gigabytes and gigabytes of data storage. Like it's, it's technology has gone from, has leaped and bound forward in over the course of the years. And a lot of that leaping and bounding forward was because of these pioneers back in the 70s for anyone who's interested there is a great netflix show called high score which we mentioned in a previous episode as well and uh high score did do an episode um their very first episode actually episode one on kind of the early early generation of video games um and they talk about jerry lawson and they actually have an interview with his children who who talk about their father and talk about the you know fairchild channel f and what it meant to him as he got his start really in in the electronics world that is the fairchild channel f stuff that's right that's right uh system that sold poorly and was discontinued many much like our other systems that we've talked about possibly future systems that we will talk about so uh, anyway, we're going to get to our byweight pass segment of the show here. I went first for recently played, so I'll go first again. That sounds good to me. Pass. So the, the game that I'm excited about buying, waiting, or passing on is a game called Paralives. And it is a, a life simulation game that is in production where you can build your dream house, create characters, and manage their, their lives any way you want. Kind of sounds like The Sims, in fact. It is pretty much like The Sims, except not made by EA, so there might be hope. So it's actually being developed and published by a team that with Steam just has the guy, the name of the founder, Alex Massey, as the leader of this team. They do have a Patreon as well, where uh, they've gotten quite a lot of supporters, and they were able to hire, I think they're up to eight team members, and they, they're looking to hire two more people. And it is very much a dollhouse kind of game where you can build your you can build a building you can fill it with furniture you build you create a person and you live that person's life by making them go around and do everyday tasks like go to work and clean the dishes in case you want to play a game instead of just doing the dishes <laughs> it's it looks really really fun it looks really really slick there are things that it does that i think if it does it right and they launch successfully can really have electronic arts think twice about what they're going to do for the sims going forward as i think the sims has pretty much run the life simulation genre by itself for a long time now it's hard for me to think of a game that's just like the sims that's not the sims beyond the sims competing against itself because the sims has four games and they all i mean like you could be like i'll just play sims 3 which is different than you playing sims 4 
but they're still all the same game. Like it's still the same series. So I, I really like the functionality in Paralives that they present in the demo where you can actually just drag furniture. So if you wanted like a, a desk, but you wanted to make the desk long or flip the desks uh, cut out for like the drawer and stuff to another side, you can do that pretty easily. I think a cool functionality is that you can take like a desk lamp and you can put it on the floor and then you can stretch it out and it becomes a floor lamp. But it doesn't, it's not like The Sims where it just looks like a gigantic desk lamp. It looks like an actual floor lamp because that's what happens in the sims when you make something bigger it just becomes a bigger version of itself yeah, so you can make funny. a gigantic like toilet seat the size of a house <laughs> yeah. but in paralives it kind of changes so it becomes like a different thing entirely so you could have like a like a box and you could put the box on the wall and it kind of looks like the ikea shell but then you could take that box and you could put it on a desk and you can shrink that box down and then it looks like like a little like monitor stand so it's a really cool functionality in regards to that the character creation looks really snappy. So I'm just hoping that uh, it will come out eventually. It's The release date is to be announced. So I don't know if it's going to be a game that comes out in 2021, um, being that we're four months in and or if it's going to come out in 2025. I you know, who knows? But uh, hopefully it comes out sooner, but hopefully they don't rush it. And I'm going to put this down as a buy. I, I really like life simulators as well. So I really like The Sims and I've been looking for like an alternative to The Sims. And I think this would be a good alternative. So when this releases, I will buy it and then I will talk about it on this episode, on the show, not this episode. That'd be weird. That'd be like time travel. So Zach, what are you excited about buying, waiting, or passing on? Seth, the game that I'm excited about buying, waiting, or passing on is a game called Indiana Jones. And this is the Indiana Jones game that is due to be out sometime. I'm not sure when because there is no there's no date given for it. Um, in fact, we we don't know really anything about this game except that it is an Indiana Jones game being made by Machine Games, who are the same Machine Games that is a subsidiary of Bethesda and has worked on projects such as the Wolfenstein games that have recently come out in the past few years, such as Wolfenstein: The New Order and Wolfenstein: The New Colossus. And uh, I'm actually really excited about the kind of prospect of machine games doing an Indiana Jones title because machine games certainly knows how to do one thing very well. And that is games where you beat up Nazis and Indiana Jones is all about beating up Nazis. Again, it's very much in early development and we really don't know anything about the game besides from a single trailer, which showed some books on a table and then a whip and then the like, dun, 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 dun. and then it was like coming soon. But I'm, I'm optimistic. Machine games, they do good stuff. I love the Wolfenstein games. So I think they're going to do a good job with this. I'm going to put it down as a wait because I have no idea what this game even is going to be. I don't know if it's going to be. I doubt it's going to be a first person shooter. But could you imagine? Um, like first person Indiana Jones using your whip to like just <laughs> knock people over. I'm just imagining like Wolfenstein with less gore, but more Indiana Jones. That's what I'm imagining. Or like, or like Wolfenstein 
but with the same mobility as Doom Eternal because you're Indiana Jones now. Do you think they're gonna have uh, like Harrison Ford be mocapping? I mean, I hope. I I, have, I don't know if they're gonna it? tie it into the new movie because there's supposed to be a new movie coming out too. With with Harrison Ford. with Harrison Ford. So I don't know if they're gonna tie it into the new movie. I don't know. Did you play New Colossus? I have. I actually liked New Colossus. It's very stupid. Like the plot is just ridiculously dumb, but it's a good game. Yeah, I think I still have to beat it. The ending's good. I I I was I was actually I don't remember the ending but I think it was good I'm pretty sure it was good anyway Machine Games Indiana Jones I'm looking forward to it let me tell you all about how you can listen to us contact us and support us because there's plenty of ways you can do that and I'm going to break those down for those of you who want to listen to us you're already listening to us in fact you listen to us speak for a substantial amount of time but let's say you want other people to listen to us so you should tell them that we're available on all the available podcasting applications that are out there in fact we're available on iTunes we're available on Amazon we're available on Stitcher I Radio, Castbox. I can keep going. I mean, we're just on all of them. If there is a podcasting application that we are not on, certainly let us know. And the way you can let us know is if you go to our website, classicgamingbrothers.com, and go to the contact form. You can fill out that form. You need to put in your your name and your email address and and whatever your email is, and that will go zipping across the internet to us in our inbox where we will read it and Seth will respond. Maybe I'll respond, but I probably won't. Seth responds to almost all the emails. So that's one way you can contact us. Look at look at how I did that. I just transitioned. That was what we call a segue. Another way you can contact us is you can just send us an email um, using any email client that you have. You can email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com or classicgamingbrothers at classicgamingbrothers.com if you want to be funny. And again, Send us any email, send us any feedback, anything like that, because any feedback you send us, that's supporting us, because the best way to support us is by listening to the episode and by letting us know what you think about it. But before I get into supporting us, but also also kind of getting into supporting us, one way that you can also contact us and support us is by going to our various social media pages and liking us. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Our Instagram and Facebook are Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. We're also on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Classic Gaming Brothers. You can like us on all those places. You can also contact us on all those places. We will get back in touch with you as soon as possible. The rest of the ways you can support us are just by telling your friends that you like this podcast. Letting three friends know that you like this podcast is a great way to do so. Uh, You could also ring bells, subscribe blah 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 all those things that you need to do to let us know that you like it that's great probably one of the best ways that you can support us though is just by leaving a review of our podcast on the application you use most applications have a form of uh you know giving us stars or or leaving a review so if you can do that be sure to do that that really does help us and we really appreciate that sort of feedback um and lastly if you want our our merchandise uh, we have a shirt we have a mug um, you can check those out on our website. We have a store. So be sure to visit our website. Pick up something if you want. Don't feel obligated to. Um, we just have that there if you're interested. And uh, that's everything. Look at me. Look at me go. That's it, Seth. I didn't, I didn't forget a single thing. Did I? Don't play games like my brother. Don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. The best thing about the Fairchild Channel F is in the game Tic-Tac-Toe. If you lose, it says, you lose, turkey. Love that. <laughs> oh. You lose, turkey. It's like, the, like the, the, the pinball games that would just be like, wasn't it that pinball game on the Microsoft, like on the Windows, where...